Thanks for checking out the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Zamprin. A Hamilton woman wants police and the city to do more to keep women safe on local trails. How are Ukrainian immigrants in Hamilton making out? We have some tips for you to tackle the rising cost of living. Canada's agricultural emissions plan is being called reckless. We talk about interior design trends that are no longer trendy. And Tom Brady says he will not be on The Masked Singer. Believe him? I don't know. The GMH podcast starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. You have probably heard the news stories over the last several weeks, really, because this has happened uh, a few times, is that women on local trails have been attacked, have been sexually assaulted. Hamilton police investigating uh, several incidents. And there are growing calls, and rightfully so, to to do more, whether it's police or the city, to do more to keep women, to keep everyone on these trails safe. Melissa Kelly is our next guest. She's the organizer of the Keep Women Safe Walk and the founder of the Women's Walking Group of Hamilton and joins us now on GMH. Melissa, good morning. How are you? Good morning. Thank you very much. I'm doing very well. Let's start with Sunday's Keep Women Safe Walk. How did it go? You know what? It went very well. Uh, We had quite a few women come out. It wasn't the best morning in terms of weather when it first started out, but uh, it turned out to be very successful there's been a lot of attention that's been gained from that uh so yeah i i I think that it's definitely sending a message to our our city and the local police department as well that's great to hear you've also created as i mentioned a private facebook group called the women's walking group of hamilton what's the response been like it honestly it's been a, a steady request of women joining uh this group uh since sunday uh, and I believe we're approaching 200 members of this group now, and uh, which is great. Uh, but it's a it's a group where women can converse with one another and let each other know what trail they're going to be going on at what time, and if you would like to join us, um, they can meet up and, and walk together. Or just knowing that there's someone else on the trail at the same time, they can leave that kind of information, and along with a cell phone number that hey, if you need to reach out to me. I'm I'm along the same trail. I'm just a few minutes away. Wow, that is awesome. There are also mm-hmm. growing calls for police and city to do more to keep women, to keep really everyone on these local trails safe. What do you want to see happen? Uh, well, I think a, a few things, a combination of things. Perhaps on the darker trails, and the, there could be more light along the darker trails for the evening. Although I don't believe a lot of uh, people take to the trails in the dark hours but that could help Uh, and then as well as a big thing to me would be to have police presence along the trails just so that we know that there's someone there there's someone that has our back if they can patrol the trails by bike by foot just knowing that police are frequenting the trails would make us feel protected as well you were impacted because you live near one of the trails where uh, a woman was assaulted by uh, an unidentified man who police uh, are, are still looking for. So this really hit close to home for you. What's been the discussion like between yourself and other women who use these trails? Uh, well, it's it's pretty scary, actually, because women are saying, well, this has happened to me. Uh, similar situations where not not necessarily attacked, but feeling as though they're being uh, kind of lured a little bit. Um, one one particular person, uh, she was telling me how her trail, her path was blocked by a gentleman, 
Uh, so she had to turn around and walk the other way. And then just recently, uh, one of my clients, um, I'm a photographer in the city of Hamilton, and one of my clients was telling me that she was approached by a man, not on, not on a trail, but on our street in Hamilton on Brucedale Avenue. She was approached from behind, and he got right up close behind her and just grabbed her and took off and ran. Hmm. Luckily, she got a great description, and police were able to find him and arrest him. So she was very shaken up by this. And, and another thing that could help capture these people, these suspects on these trails, would also be to have some kind of video surveillance at the entry and exit points of these trails, perhaps, so that if an incident does happen, they can be caught. We have uh, about 45 seconds. Are, okay. are, are you being heard? Has the city or police responded to any of your suggestions? Yes, definitely. Uh, a police officer actually joined in our, on our walk on Sunday. And after we were done, he took us aside and, and mentioned the, the tips that police continue to, to give us. Uh, but he did say that police are going to be stepping up their presence on the trails as well. So that is that is encouraging. That's great news. That is amazing news. Melissa, mm-hmm. you should be congratulated for spearheading this project and getting other women, other people involved in uh, improving our uh, local trail safety in this community. Thanks for doing so, and thanks for the time this morning. Thank you so much. That's Melissa Kelly, organizer of the Cape Women's Safe Walk, which happened on Sunday, also the founder of the Women's Walking Group of Hamilton. Another great idea to keep women safe on our local trails. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Today we're announcing new sanctions on 62 additional individuals and one defense sector entity that is complicit in Russia's war in Ukraine. We should all be deeply concerned about the consequences of Russia's war both in Ukraine and around the world. This includes inflation as well as economic, energy and food Insecurity. Welcome back to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Rick Samprin with you. That is the voice of Prime Minister Justin Trudeau announcing new sanctions against Russian officials yesterday. Believe it or not, today marks six months since the start of the war in Ukraine. And since then, about 40,000 Ukrainians have arrived in Canada. Many of them have settled here in Hamilton. So I wanted to know, how are they doing? Tareem Zafar is a manager of Immigrant and Settlement Services at the YWCA of Hamilton and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Tareem, good morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm good. Thanks. How are you? I'm fine. How are local Ukrainian immigrants doing here in Hamilton? Uh, So, local Ukrainians, yeah, that's a good question. They are, like, right now it's uh, still in the crisis mode. They are arriving every day. Like, we heard that every week we are getting 21,000 applications. Uh, in general, uh, in Canada, so for us, uh, it's it's a, it's a start. Uh, they are still uh, in in a great crisis for housing. That's the main thing. So um, all the organizations are working together, getting them initial temporary housing. But uh, people are very supportive. That's what I can say. Uh, host families have opened their homes, uh, and uh, uh, but but the thing is that. They, they don't have the federal benefits that that much as other refugees have. So, so they, they are just looking for something that they can save money, that one time the money government has given them so they can uh, they can rent a place. So it's, it's, 
it's overwhelming for them. Yeah, I can imagine that the housing yeah. situation itself is the biggest challenge because, as you know, the mm-hmm. the rental capacity here in town isn't very large. The housing uh, crisis is real in in this city for sure. So, where are they staying? Are they still in hotel rooms? You mentioned family and friends. Yeah, so what happens when they arrive at Pearson uh, and Red Cross has set up a booth there. So they go to uh, Red Cross, they arrange uh, temporary housing in hotels there. So they have a few hotels where federal government has given them some funding to book 75 or so rooms. So they send them there for uh, three days to two weeks. And then after that, they are, they are sent to the cities that they, uh, uh, they decide to live in. And then there we start from there. So we uh, we have YMCA Hamilton, and that is collaborating with the city, and they they are matching the new arrivals, new Ukrainian arrivals, with the host family, and uh, the families that have registered with them. So this is the uh, this is the formal way, the the way that government has now uh, worked with the cities to work on. But this is just a glimpse. Uh, most of the families, uh, they are already uh, uh, contacting the host homes uh, privately, not not through through the agencies. So uh, uh, they arrange, like I, I know, I, I uh, people tell us that uh, host families, Hamiltonians, they have uh, advertised on Facebook. They have go, gone to different forums that they are accepting the Ukrainians. They have they are opening their homes. So most of the families are at this time. We know that they are living with the host families. It's uh, but but some of them are contacting the settlement agencies, and uh, UCC is playing a large role. They are helping them um, uh, connect with the host families as well. But this is just temporary. Uh, like host families can keep them up to maybe two weeks to one month maximum. They have their own work life, everything. So they don't know where to go after that. There is a housing crisis, as you mentioned, but then there is another crisis. They are coming from the war zone. They don't have anything with them. Uh, and the rent, they are skyrocketing. First challenge is, can, can they find a house? Yes, they did find a house. But then uh, the landlord wants them to have all that uh, credit check, uh, reference letter and all that, all those um, uh, formalities. Mm-hmm. They, they they don't have anything. So, and then the third challenge comes, financial issues. Government has just given them one-time payment. One-time payment, and can I tell you, it's just 3000 per adult, 1500 per child. That's wow. it. That's um, it. That, and then they have to give first and last rent. It's uh, it's a lot. It's, yeah, it's it's not a lot of money that, that they're being given. We have 30 seconds. When it comes to school, are families finding places in schools for their kids? Oh, yes. So um, settlement agencies are working really hard. They are uh, helping them with the school registration, with with all those uh, um, uh, government assistance plans that, that are available. So schools have uh, capacity. Schools are taking them. They are eligible for that. So that's that's a good thing. At least they have health and uh, schooling, education covered. So, so yeah. That's fantastic. Tareem, really appreciate your time today. Thanks for joining us and uh, continued good luck with helping Ukrainian immigrants in this community. Thank you so much. That is Tareem Zafar, Manager of Immigrant and Settlement Services at the YWCA of Hamilton. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. With the cost of living much higher these days, many Canadians 
are turning to short-term loans to pay for necessities. Now, it's not the majority. There was a recent survey by a company called Finder that found out that 36% of Canadian consumers said their main reason for taking out a loan is to cover bills for rent, mortgage, food, transportation. 25% of voters in our Twitter poll question yesterday said that they were planning to borrow money or already have to combat the rising cost of living. Where are you in this situation? Jay Llewellyn is a senior financial consultant with Fox Group Private Wealth Management and a certified financial planner and a chartered life underwriter and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Jay, welcome back to the show. Good morning. How are you? Rick, thanks for having me. I, I, I love the the intro music. That uh, that got me pumped. It made me feel like I was like a, a blue jay walking up to the... There you the go. <laughs> that's, that's your walk-up song. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll take it. I'll have, take it. <laughs> have you fielded calls from your clients, existing clients, or maybe even new clients, asking questions on the pros and the cons of short-term loans? Yeah, it's, uh, it's unbelievable. It's, um, it's uh, very interesting. It kind of coincides with uh, kids going back to school right now. Like a lot of a lot of clients of ours have kids going to school and and uh, and looking to see how they're going to fund that edu- that education. So a lot of kids will have, or a lot of parents will have these education savings plans. And I'm telling them, saying, listen, now's not the time maybe to be pulling out of these education savings plans. And we're even suggesting some people borrow money for that. So yeah, there's a lot of borrowing going on right now. Interest rates are, are obviously creeping up. Rates right now, prime rate at about 4.7. So if you're lucky to get alone at 4.7 that's that's still pretty low in terms of you know historical averages for for borrowing but yeah it's a, it's becoming almost like a, a second pandemic here where people are living beyond their means and the cost of living's gone up and, and they can't afford to to keep going without borrowing for people looking into a short-term loan whether it's to pay for necessities or to pay for their son or daughter to go to college or university what do they need to be aware of well, yeah, don't get, don't get caught up in, in all the, uh, the the marketing that's out there for these low-interest loans or these zero-interest loans. The article that you're referring to, they, they mentioned that there's, you know, you can get credit cards with 0% interest for, for a limited time, and that's the catch, and that's what these credit card companies or these lending companies want you to want you to, to grab onto is that 0% financing, but you really got to be aware of that that six month or that nine month or that 12 month interval where it comes into play. And now, now you're paying 21% interest and you, you really got to be aware of that, that date when, when it does kick in and when normal interest comes back. So these 0% interest options are great. Um, if you're disciplined and, and make sure that you have, have the debts paid off by the time, by the time that the real interest rates kick in, but, but be very aware of, uh, of that date, those zero interest options, uh, are, are too good to be true sometimes. Is the smarter play for those people, and, and let's face it, pretty much everyone has a credit card these days, is the smarter play to say, listen, I know I have a balance, let's call my financial institution and say, listen, let, let's cut down the interest rate, but we can increase the uh, the amount that I can you know, uh, add to this card. Is, is that a conversation we should be having? Yeah, I, we don't really go down that avenue. We with with the raising uh, the prices of houses, a lot of people have equity in their homes now. So an option that we're suggesting a lot of clients do is go go revisit uh, with your your bank or, or your financial institution and say, hey, listen, I've got a lot of equity in my home. I don't want to have a credit card necessarily, but how about a, a home equity line of credit or a line of credit secured with your home? So those interest rates are a lot more favorable than a credit card or a line of credit 
your traditional line of credit or just a regular loan. So securing something with your home, because people have a lot of equity in their homes, I know the, the price of homes has come down slightly in the last little while, but still there's a lot of equity in these homes and people don't realize that they could get a far lower rate on their on their line of credit if it's secured with their property. So that's, a, that's an alternative that we're suggesting a lot of clients do is instead of borrowing on a credit card, or, or a car loan or something like that, or, or a traditional loan is, is getting something secured with your home. Um, we're seeing rates as low as 3.7 for some of uh, the home equity lines of credit. So, For homeowners in that situation, the, the line of credit is obviously a good option. If they need uh, an even bigger bang for their buck, is a refinancing option, a good? is this a good time to do it, even though that interest rates are creeping up? Yeah, again, that's a, a good question. It's it's a, more of a calculation than anything. You can't just blanket statement saying, yeah. yeah, it's a good time to refinance. But, you know, a lot of people were paying under under 2% on their mortgages and, and still are because they've locked in for a five-year period. But now, like I said, if you're getting the posted rates are 4.7 or, or if you're lucky, you get a 3.7 rate on a home equity line of credit. If you're paying under 2% and then you do a blend, with your existing mortgage, uh, you're actually increasing your cost, not reducing your cost. So be wary of that as well. So again, the banks will be happy to refinance your, your mortgage and give you more money. But if they're blending it with a, with a rate that was lower than before, you, you could be actually costing yourself more money. Got a couple minutes with Jay Llewellyn, Senior Financial Consultant with Fox Group Private Wealth Management and a certified financial planner and a chartered life underwriter. I'm sure some people have called your office to say, Jay, you know, it's, it's tough making ends meet. I got to dip into my RRSP or I got to dip into, I don't know, a TFSA. Are those calls coming in? Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's definitely something that's happening. Again, back to the education thing, like uh, kids are going back to school, cost of cost of school has gone up, and, and a lot of clients are, are dipping into other sources of funding to, to pay for those things, not to mention, you know, just with the, the cost of living, you know, June interest or uh, inflation rates were at 8.1, July 7.6. I'm sure it's going to be close to that in August as well. Um, the only reason it's gone down, I think, slightly from June till to July was was the was the gas prices at the pump? So um, that's that's the majority of what's what's brought that down. So everything else is still costing a lot of money. So yeah, definitely people are calling and saying, "Listen, what are my options?" Again, borrowing. I think that's uh, it's a, a viable option at this point, as opposed to redeeming out of your RSPs and, and crippling your your financial future with with using money today to pay for groceries, as opposed to. Uh, saving for your retirement down the road. Mm-hmm. And there's also tax implications on that as 100%, 100%. well. 100%. Jay, we'll have to leave it there as we're out of time, but uh, appreciate your time this morning. Thanks for joining okay, us. Okay, appreciate it. Thanks, Rick. That's Jay Llewellyn, Senior Financial Consultant at Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can hear more from Jay and Don Fox and Scott Thompson weekends, Saturdays in particular, at 8 a.m. on Planning Your Financial Future with Don Fox and Jay. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. You may have heard that the federal government plans to cut agricultural emissions by 30% by 2030. With doing the math, that's that's an eight years, really less than eight years. One of the ways Ottawa plans to do this is by limiting the use of nitrogen-based fertilizers. A, a similar move is being played out in, in the Netherlands. And you've probably heard that that has sparked massive protests by farmers in that country. Well, there's a, a researcher at the University of Guelph who calls Canada's plan to reduce agricultural emissions reckless. 
Dr. Manish Raizada is a professor in the Department of Plant Agriculture at the University of Guelph and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Dr. Raizada, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Rick. Thanks so much for having me on. Why, in your estimation, is this plan, Canada's plan, reckless? Well, unfortunately, the Trudeau government is continuing its pattern of, you know, putting out targets, climate change targets, smiling at the cameras, and not really coming up with a realistic plan to do so. And I want to remind you know, your viewers, or, or maybe tell your viewers, that uh, there's very few farming families left in Ontario. There's only about 57,000 uh, farms left in Ontario, and only about 27,000 of them produce grains like corn and wheat. So there's very few, and, and I also want to kind of, you know, correct the, I think, the public record that's out there, which is that, you know, farmers are these net polluters and these evil people. You know, it's nice that those of us who live in cities have, you know, uh, solar panels, and that's great. But, you know, a farm is a vast, a, you know, vast um, solar panel farm. Um, I mean, that's basically what they are. So farmers harvest the sun over hundreds of acres. And I could argue they're the most renewable, sustainable sector that we have out there. That's, you know, they allow our, our food to be sustainable. Having said that, there is a real problem here. And the real problem is that, so crops require about 14 nutrients. 13 of them are mined from rock. But one of them, as you mentioned, is nitrogen fertilizer, and that is produced or can be produced synthetically, and it uses fossil fuels. Um, and so, at the at the point of production, it it maybe uh, emits about one or two percent of global greenhouse gases. The real real problem, however, is that after nitrogen fertilizer is applied onto fields, the the part that's not sopped up by plants, taken up by plants, actually gets converted to nitrous oxide, which is a potent greenhouse gas. But the flip side of this is that nitrogen is this natural molecule which is a, a building block for chlorophyll. And you all learned in you know, grade one that chlorophyll is what allows plants to harvest energy from the sun. Nitrogen is also a building block for this, a key enzyme in a plant that allows plants to grab carbon dioxide out of the air and actually convert it into matter. So when you look at a plant, the amazing thing about it is that most of the matter that you're looking at doesn't come from the soil, it comes from the air, it comes from CO2. But if you don't have enough nitrogen, the plant can't do that. So you've got this problem, you've got this challenge. On one hand, nitrogen can be polluting and, and, and is, is a significant cause, you know, um, can, can um, cause greenhouse gas emissions. On the other hand, it's required for crops to be sustainable. So what farmers are worried about is that, you know, in, you know, and again, in like seven years, the government has, the federal government hasn't done much are not enough in terms of trying to reduce emissions. They haven't been working with farmers to do it. And now they're suddenly saying to farmers, hey, magically, in the next essentially seven years, you've got to cut emissions by 30%, basically from nitrogen. And what they're worried about is, well, you know, we're going to have declining yields. And if we have declining yields, you know, we're not going to have enough food. Food prices are going to skyrocket. And, and that's a legitimate concern. Absolutely. The Western Canadian Wheat Growers Association, for example, is saying that this plan is going to reduce the average farmer's profit by about $40,000 a year. The government, in my estimation, has to find some kind of balance here, has to find or come up with some kind of new plan. I understand the emissions targets are there, but you're crippling a vital sector in this country. Absolutely. And look, I've spent you know much of my career trying to find alternatives to nitrogen fertilizer and, and to reduce the amount of uh, nitrogen fertilizer that, that is used. So I'm obviously all in over, you know, uh, but we need a serious plan. So, so what's missing here? So, you know, the current, I'll, I'll put plan in quotation marks, 
the current plan looks like it's written by a kindergarten student. Okay, it's they're saying farmers should 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 you know do what every farmer already does and knows how to do. So what we need is is a plan that's kind of written at a graduate school level. And the the key part of it is that if you're going to ask farmers, there, there are some solutions here, and they're good solutions, but they're not magical solutions, and some of them are risky. And so if you're going to ask farmers to undertake this, you've got to put cash on the table, direct payments to farmers. So let me give you an example. The, the, the key problem with nitrogen fertilizer is that farmers, you know, add most fertilizer at the start of the growing season, but plants are really small then. They can't take up the fertilizers. They, they don't have that demand. So what's needed is to kind of split the fertilizers, split the fertilizer dose so that a lot of it is added late in the growing season when the plants are large. But to do that, you need some machinery. You need to pay for fuel costs to get in. Think of a corn plant. You've got to get above the corn canopy. So you need these high-clearance tractors. That machinery is expensive. But a simple solution would be you know, for the government to subsidize this machinery. So, again, direct cash on the table. And that, that's an important part. And I hate to interrupt, but we're plumb out of time here. I really enjoyed our time this morning, and we're going to continue this discussion because it is an important one that we have to continue to have. Dr. Rizada, thanks for joining us today, and enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you, Rick. Have a nice day. You too. That's Dr. Manish Rizada, professor in the Department of Plant Agriculture at the University of Guelph. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Some of the many people, and we've had... So really thousands of people buy new homes or buy homes in Hamilton, you know, whether it was the great GTA rush of 2017 in which GTA homeowners sold their million dollar homes to come to Hamilton to buy the half million dollar homes, which are now nearly a million dollars. Many of those people are in their homes and might still be today thinking, wow, you know, we really have to shift and make a change to our interior design. We're looking around and the the once trendy things in our home are no longer trendy. They desperately want to change how the interior of their home looks like. What are some of those trends that must be changed? Well, let's ask our next guest. He's the expert. Bob Asadorian is the owner of Triple R Inc. and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Bobby, how are you? Excellent. Good morning, Rick, and good morning, Hamilton. Hey, before we get to some of the things that people want to change, what are some of the popular trends that people are now incorporating into their homes? What are some of the hot ideas out there? Some hot ideas regarding painting, for example, or accent walls. Now, I hope that one stays popular. I think it's a nice look. So, for example, a nice spacious living room, uh, assuming it's four walls, possibly your back wall with the window. Uh, when you're looking at the color palette, you know, you would pick a color for that, a couple of shades darker or lighter, a nice accent. Okay, that's interesting. Um, I don't have any of those in my home, so that's an X for me. Uh, <laughs> has there been one or two interior design trends that have stood the test of time? They're absolutely timeless. Well, it depends on perspective. I mean, one item that's on the list of items to go uh, that I've been studying are open concepts. But I still find a lot of people like the open concept. You know, when we look back decades ago, uh, older Hamilton homes, it was like they were trying fiercely to make as many rooms as they could inside a home. (laughs) Small little rooms everywhere, everywhere in older Hamilton. Now, that unfortunately to some people is on the uh, out, out the, out the window list to go, you know, not wanting the open concept anymore. Really, a lot of this I find depends on the homeowner. And I am always telling my homeowners, I disclaim that although I'm not a designer, you know, it is your home. If you're planning on staying there, 
design it the way you like. But obviously, you know, keep in mind that the style does come and go, that that matters a lot for resale. Yeah, and the open concept phenomenon really started as, you know, families or homeowners were looking at their space and thinking, you know, I want to be able to see, if I'm entertaining especially, I want to be able to see the people that I'm entertaining, or if I have young kids, you know, hey, let's knock down this wall, make the kitchen and dining room and family room all one big space so we can keep an eye on the kids. That has really, you know, been incorporated many, many years ago, and I think has worked for many homeowners. Well, that worked for my own family. When we bought this home some 14 years ago, our kids were three and two. And at the time, you know, you really want to be able to see them, you know, with the hub of the home being the kitchen and always cooking and, you know, preparing lunches and suppers and dinners and whatnot. Uh, I myself removed the wall partially, you know, between the living room or as we called it then the play area for the kids so we can see them. But now, I mean, things change. Now they're teenagers and they're noisy. And sometimes I'd rather, <laughs> if that wall was back there and some more wall, to have a little bit of quiet space in the living room. So it changes as the family grows. That's a good point. We're uh, in discussion with Bob Asadorian, the owner of Triple R Inc. You can find him online at triplerinc.ca about some interior design trends that are no longer applicable and many homeowners want to change. What is the most common thing that homeowners do want to remove from their homes these days? That they want to remove? Well, it depends. If they're buying an older Hamilton, I'm sure some of them still exist. One I can think off the top of my head was my my first home on Barron's near the Queenston Traffic Circle. We had the uh, lovely pink tile with the black bordering all around the bathroom, uh, three, quarters, three quarters of the way up. I guess the builder couldn't afford to make it go all the way up to the ceiling. So that was an interesting color choice. There may still be a lot of that around in Hamilton. Did you have a pink tub as well? Uh, yes, yes, correct, yes. Yeah. Wow, those colored toilets and tubs, I'm not sure who was thinking or what they were thinking at the time. Uh, well, I guess that was the trend at the time, right? Well, that was the trend at the time, and even with us back uh, back in 2008 when we were looking for another home, you know, there was the fact that if you buy an older Hamilton, you know, you have to have the time and the money or the energy to remodel. You know, a lot of these homes had the uh, bright eccentric floor tile and the wall tile in the home. A lot of things that are outdated, you know, versus buying a new home where it's somewhat move-in ready. So the colors, the colors were pretty wild back then. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of drapes, also drapes and accessories that were sort of uh, quarter size of the window, the small drapes on a lot of the windows. I remember that well. We had those in my home when we moved in, and they were quickly removed, let me tell you. Uh, you mentioned color. When it comes to paint, you know, in the 90s, it was the beige and the taupe. Nowadays, it seems like, you know, the the neutral tones, like whites and grays and, and slate color. Is that still applicable? Are people playing around with some with some color nowadays? Well, it's interesting. They're playing around with it, but that's one thing that's on its way out again, as the designers are talking about. Neutral rooms, uh, what they're equating it to is a hospital look. So although realtors may suggest keep it the neutrals, keep the neutrals, because it'll you know appease a larger crowd of purchasers, that's definitely on its way out. And in is uh, mixing it up, mixing it up with different colors. That's what people want now. Interesting stuff. Bob, appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us today, and have an enjoyable day. Thank you. Have a wonderful day. That's Bob Asadorian, the owner of Triple R Inc. You can find him online, triplerinc.ca. Some of those other interior design trends that some want to, I guess, excavate uh, in terms of furniture, glass furniture, apparently on the way out. 
floating stairs, which I've never really been a fan of. This kind of give me the creeps. Floating stairs, not a big fan of that. Uh, another is man caves. Apparently man caves are a big no-no. So if your husband or if your dad or granddad has a man cave, just tell them, listen, it's time to, it's time to renovate. <laughs> uh, another one, double islands in a kitchen. I've never seen it, but apparently people have it, and it's a trend that should go out the door. And another one, and Bob mentioned this, is open floor plans, which to me is, I, I don't know, I like the open concept. I want to I see everything. What's you know Bob doing over there in the corner at my party? Oh, he's just having a drink. That's good. And another one, too, and I have this in my home, and I, I absolutely love it, is shiplap. Shiplap, apparently not a big um, design trend nowadays. I like it. I'm keeping it. It was a lot of work to put it up, so it's not going anywhere. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. One of the more popular shows on TV these days is something called The Masked Singer. You may have seen it. You may be a super fan of it. Our next guest is certainly not only a super fan, but an expert of the show. Why? Well, you'll find out in the next few minutes. His name is Joey Contino, and he joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Joey, how are you? Hey, good morning, Rick. How are you today? I'm fantastic. So one of the big stories tied into The Masked Singer is Tom Brady, as we all know, legendary NFL quarterback who has won more Super Bowls than any human being on the face of the earth, um, was given a leave of absence from Tampa Bay Buccaneers training camp. And while the team said it was for personal reasons, there has been some rumors suggesting that Tom Brady has been on the masked singer as their upcoming season is, is uh, set to kick off here. Um, he's denied it saying, listen, I, I, I was not wearing a mask while I was away. I was selling my underwear brand. This is his, you know, his, his new excuse. But the fact of the matter is that this, this show is popular. It has attracted some big stars and to have Tom Brady's name connected to, to it, even in the rumor mill, is kind of big. Your, your thoughts on this whole situation? Well, when this thing first came out, I did the first thing everyone else did. I jumped on Instagram and went, where has this guy been for the past 11 days that could cause him to mispractice? And was he in L.A.? And so when I first saw this, I started doing a little bit of research, trying to dig in, you know, see the tags. Was he somewhere around? Did someone take a photo of him? Was he in L.A.? And my first thought was, Wow. Could it be that he's actually on the mask singer? We've had some big names on the show before. But after doing some research, I'm like, it doesn't look like he's in LA. I can't really tell that he's teasing anything. And I went, I can't, I can't imagine him being on it. But I have to admit, the mask singer's Instagram team started posting pictures of goats and they really started going after it. And I went, wait a minute, maybe there is something actually going on. So that's kind of where I started off with my YouTube videos, trying to figure out, hey, is this guy actually on the show? It'd be amazing if he was. Absolutely. So what you do is rather remarkable. Can you explain for our listeners how you have gotten every single person right except for two? <laughs> yes, it's, it's a good count. I think the only one online who actually has that record right now. Uh, it's very unique for those who don't know the show. They have these clue packages where they kind of give some hints about the celebrity. And it's the real celebrity doing the voiceover. The difference is the executive producers know they can't use a real voice. So they take that audio, they slow it down, and they kind of pitch it up a little bit so it sounds like an alien. Now, I'm an executive audio producer, and I figured, hey, you know what? 
if I can slow this down and I can pitch correct it, we can hear the real celebrity voice. So you take like your top five guesses and you say, well, does it sound like this person? No, it doesn't sound like them. And then once you connect the clues to the voice and then the voice of the real person, you got yourself who's under that mask. So how long does that usually take? You know what? I normally don't do it for the first episode because you have to learn to see what they did differently that year, the producers. Once you finally have your first reveal, which is kind of like your sample, you can then go back into the, like, say, Pro Tools or something and then kind of play with it a little bit till you have that exact audio. The first two weeks are kind of like up a little bit. We don't really know. Once we really get some clues and we can hone into like a top 10 list, we're able to go ahead, then compare the audio and know for a fact that, you know, maybe it is this person, it's not this person. That's pretty wild. Joey Contino is our guest. He is a masked singer expert and has uh, just laid out how he uh, dissects each voice by slowing or speeding up uh, the pitch and the sound of each contestant. Has there been one that you've identified and you thought going in, it was one person. And then after doing what you do, you found out, oh my gosh, it's someone entirely different. Yeah. This past season was the first one in a while that had gotten wrong and it was Jorge Garcia. And honestly, the audio was not matching up because he has such a deep voice. So I was pitching it way higher than it should be. And I was like, they can't, I don't know who this is. And I mentioned who I thought it was. And I'll be honest with you, I don't remember who it was. But um, it wound up being Jorge Garcia. And I was, uh, uh, to be honest, I was completely shocked. But that's what makes this show great is that you really don't know. You could be completely wrong and like, you know, swear on it, but ultimately be wrong. But that's the fun of it. For someone who hasn't watched this show, and I know if they do, they're probably going to get hooked. But what, what would you say is the best part of the show? The best part is going back and forth between your family members and your coworkers arguing <laughs> who you think is under the mask. Because everyone thinks they're right. And, of course, no one is right until that mask comes off. So it's always fun to when the show ends, you're calling all your buddies, hey, you got it wrong, or hey, I was wrong, man. Though I don't get many of those phone calls. <laughs> <laughs> so what are the chances we could see – Tom Brady unmasked during the show. Well, that's the beauty of it is that because we're preseason, they just finished filming. The chances are still 50, 50. He can deny it all he wants. Cause he's got an NDA. He's going to stand by, but he was off around the time where they were filming. You know, they said that he'll be back this week. Well, the show just finished filming on the 20th. So it is possible that he could be on the show. And plus the show has been teasing a lot of sports stuff since then. They even put a goat online that they brought onto set, which means that, there is a possibility, though. To be honest with you, we say 50 50. I'm thinking it's more like 30 70 as in towards a no. But, you know, we have to have some kind of hope. I mean, he is the goat of all time. Should be fun to see. Joey, appreciate the time today and enjoy the upcoming season. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Stay safe. Joey Contino, the mask singer expert and super fan. And yeah, you know, 30 70 is probably a good percentage but I, I will say this Tom Brady has not outright denied that he's not going to be on the show he tweeted wasn't on the masked singer last week was wearing a mask though and he has a video of him riding a, a motorbike in his underwear with a helmet on which I guess is kind of a mask and the, I, I say only underwear because he is promoting his underwear brand kind of a weird way to do it but I, I'd say there there might be a chance I doubt it this all revolves around a personal leave of absence from training camp. But let's not forget, he's 45 and entering season number 23. So, yeah, give him a break from training camp. He doesn't need to be there. He knows the rigmarole of camp and the ups and downs of it. I think he'll be ready for the season, not the season of the Masked Singer. But 
We shall see. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.